You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'll be hosting this program through this a crisis. Uh, if, the, if the radio station continues to be on air, I'll continue to be here on Wednesday unless I'm dead. This is a period of great opportunity. Great opportunity. Because what it highlights is that there are different ways where we how we can live, different economies, different ways we can live as a community. It highlights the weaknesses of capitalism. That's private investing, investment for private gain. It highlights the weakness of a state, which is basically part of the corporate sector. It highlights the weakness of a community that is gripped by fear and is acting in a, in a manner which uh, is really, really counterproductive as far as the world is concerned. So I, to, this week will be a special COVID-19 rational talk regarding the community consequences and economic consequences and what you and I can do during this period. It's not a period of panic. It is not a period of fear. I think the first thing we need to do is, as we normally do, is define what anarchy is all about. Anarchism is about creating a society without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. What gives rulers power? Well, inequalities in power and wealth. And what we've seen over the last 40 to 50 years is a concentration of power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands, and we can see what that this has led to. So as I said, it's a period of unparalleled opportunity. It is not a period that we should hide away, forget our ideas, pull uh, you know, our uh, what, socks over our head and hide, hide in our beds. It is not that period. This is a period when people are looking at alternatives because they begin to understand that the type of society we have created is cannot deal with these issues, let alone the economy. We live in a society which is based on the creation of ever-increasing profits 
for a, a very small minority, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. Those of you who may be deep ecologists will know the concept of Gaia, G-A-I-A. Gaia is a theory which to a significant degree was actually developed by Peter Kropotkin, a very famous anarchist scientist who lived at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And he was Darwin's nemesis. While Darwin talked about survival of the fittest, Kropotkin and his scientific studies showed that it was mutual aid which allowed organisms, animals and human beings to survive. And there is one group of animals, and we are animals, we're flesh, blood, whatever we think, whether we've got a soul or not, we are basically an organism. We are flesh and blood and bones. And Kropotkin showed that the humanity's best way of surviving and prospering was through mutual aid, not competition. Today, what we have is a society which is based on competition and what we see in the supermarkets and the markets across this country as people panic regarding this pandemic, what we are seeing is the consequences of living in a society where we are atomised individuals, not part of a community. We are seeing the logical consequences of capitalism the failures of capitalism and how people react in times of emergency where all they think about is themselves and their immediate family and don't see themselves as part of a wider community which together can address this issue. So let's do some facts, rational facts regarding COVID-19 because I think there's so much garbage being spoken about COVID-19, so much crap on social media and the legacy media, and the government guild at ABC, and the panic that it's whipped up. Let's let's look at this epidemic or pandemic, because the world has had many pandemics, and as a race, we have survived. The Black Plague killed over 60% of people in Europe, and over 30% of people around the world. Over 50 million people died during the Spanish influenza epidemic in 1919. 50,000 died in Australia. So the history of, in the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the uh, Muslim Empire, and the list goes on and on. In the Bible, in all the religious documentation, there are stories about plagues and epidemics. And what happens is a new disease is created, occurs... It infects the human population. Over a period of time, people, that human population has no immunity. People die and life begins again. So what we are trying to do in 2020 is actually change the way that a pandemic works. Now let's go back to coronavirus, COVID-19. Let's go back to the end of December, early January. The main reason we were concerned, and I've been a doctor for 43 years, and I was concerned when I first heard about the transmission of this new virus from animals, possibly bats, into the human population, the major concern is we have 7.5 billion people on this planet. Not one 
human being on the planet at that particular point in time had any immunity to the virus. We didn't know how fast it would be transmitted. We didn't know how many, what its mortality rate would be and its morbidity rate. We didn't know who was most at risk. But over the last few months, we have learnt many things about this virus. And we are on the verges of actually uh, developing a vaccination against it. So the first thing is, COVID-19 is not like Marburg virus, which had a 90% mortality rate, Hendra virus in Brisbane, which had a 90% mortality rate, Ebola virus, which has had a mortality rate of about uh, 20%. It's about three times more deadly than the influenza virus that occurs every year across the world. That's the first thing. Its mortality rate is relatively low. The second thing is there are specific sections of the population that are able to deal with this virus. And that's the very young, middle-aged people, young people. And the people that are at risk is the increasing number of elderly people and people with comorbidities, which is a fancy word, with three or four diseases which have been treated by modern medicine and people with disabilities. So most people will recover and develop antibodies and will not have to be worried about being infected and reinfected. That's how most people. So the people most at risk are the elderly and people with disabilities, people on chemotherapy, people with physical limitations, people with respiratory disorders. Smokers have a greater incidence, and that's why the death rate in Wuhan province was higher, about 3%. So that's putting it in perspective, okay? The second thing is, in Australia, we have no food shortages. We produce 85% of the food we consume, and we could produce 100%. So there is no reason for the current panic. It is not as if we rely on imports in order to feed ourselves, like Japan, which relies on 80% of their food comes from overseas, or many places in the Middle East, or other parts of the world. So the panic we are seeing today is a panic which is based on fear, which has been magnified by social media and the legacy media response, and by a weak, ineffective, inefficient government which is out of its depth. Now let's continue more about the COVID-19. Now, we do have a test And 81,000 people have been tested in Australia for coronavirus or COVID-19. And currently, the people who should be tested are those who develop symptoms, who've been in contact with people who've been overseas, 
have come back and in contact in the last 48 hours with somebody who's been diagnosed with uh, coronavirus. Now, these tests are currently restricted because there are not enough tests to go about. I mean, I'm broadcasting in Victoria, and today, out of a population of around 6 million, there'll be at least a quarter of a million, 250,000 people that will have coughs and colds. That doesn't mean they all need to be tested. So we need, at this stage, because there's not an unlimited number of testing kits, we need to be very, very... uh, We have to look at things about who needs to be tested. It's not as if, you know, you can be tested this week and you haven't got it, and maybe next week you get it, all right? So it's the people who are most at risk who should be tested. Another thing about uh, COVID-19, okay... As I said before, the concept of herd immunity. What is herd immunity? Herd immunity is then when enough people in a population have antibodies to a particular virus or bacteria that it cannot have a devastating consequence on the population. I'll give you an example. Most European conquest that occurred across the world, including Australia, was due to the fact that Europeans had developed resistance to many diseases which plagued Europe during the colonisation process. Things like measles, influenza, smallpox, typhus, and the list goes on and on. So when European colonisers came to this country, within two years, over 80% of Indigenous Australians, First Nations people on the East Coast had died because they had no antibodies to the disease. So the concept of herd immunity is building up the number of people who have antibodies to the virus. Now, if there is no vaccination, the only way you develop herd immunity is by more and more people actually developing the virus in a population. And if we know that younger people have a relatively minor inconvenience if they're infected with COVID-19 and that older people and people with disabilities have the greatest risk of dying, then, and there is no vaccination, the only way we can actually develop a herd immunity is by more and more people getting the infection. Now, it's quite interesting that as I speak, the Dutch government has made a decision to actually use measures to social isolate people, but at the same time, they are trying to manipulate the environment in such a way that younger people get COVID virus and that increase in herd immunity will protect the older sections of the population. I mean, the fallacy of that type of policy is who looks after elderly people? It's younger people. So obviously there will be a crossover. But that's the concept of herd immunity. So until vaccination for COVID-19 is available, 
it is unlikely there will be herd immunity built up to actually protect the population as a whole. So what's all the fuss about? Well, what is all the fuss about is very, very easy. The fact is that although we have a publicly funded healthcare system, it has a limited number of facilities. So the current government initiatives to slow the spread of COVID-19 is based on the idea that if you slow the spread of the disease by people self-isolating or by getting people to, uh, you know, closing down public gatherings, large public gatherings, that you will slow the spread of the disease. Nothing apart from vaccination and crowd and herd immunity can actually stop the disease, COVID-19. So if you slow the rate of infection in the community through quarantine measures, and that's what isolation is, through quarantine measures, what will happen is that the number of people who get very sick will be able to be managed in the current healthcare environment. Because let's not forget, healthcare is like myself. We are at the front line of this struggle against this particular virus. And the more healthcare workers who get the virus and have to go home or be treated, the less people will be available to actually treat people who are sick. Now, how does the COVID-19 virus affect individuals? Well, the majority of cases, the great majority of cases, it's a matter of a cough and a stiffle and a temperature. And if you're relatively healthy, your, your immune system will deal with it. Now, in cases like mine, where I'm an older person, nearly 70, and I have a number of medical issues, right, my immune system is not as effective as a younger person. So I'm at a greater risk of catching the virus. Now, what happens if I catch the virus? Now, the mortality rate in people over 80 is about 8% worldwide. So that's a significant mortality rate. So why do people get sick with COVID-19? Why do some people get very sick and some people die and some people have a minor disease? And to a large degree, it is, it is based on the capacity of your immune system to actually deal with the situation. So if you are on medications for other issues, if you're on chemotherapy, the chances are that your immune system is not as effective as somebody else. If you're elderly, your immune system is not as effective as somebody who is young. So what are the symptoms which force people into hospital? Because people like Mr. Dutton should have been able to be, you know, should have been able to be treated at home, not take up a, you know, a valuable hospital bed. But that's another story because I don't actually know his specific issue and how sick he was because obviously the government doesn't like to release that type of information. Now, in the majority of cases, people should be able to self-isolate at home and they should get over it. 
And the biggest danger is them infecting other people. And that's why we've got all these precautions that people talk about. So how does it affect people? Well, it's mainly an influenza-type disease. Therefore, it affects the lungs. And people with a poor immune system get major infections in their lungs. They can't breathe and they die. Now, in 1919, when medical services were rudimentary, people died. And we had 50,000 people die in Australia, around 50,000 because of the Spanish flu and about 50 million around the world. But today, we've, we've increased with better uh, medical technology. People are put on ventilators and they're seen through two, three, four days where they can't breathe, where the machine actually breathes for them. And after that period, when, they, when they've got over the virus and their breathing has been supported by a ventilation machine, make it better. And that's the dilemma. Not only do we have a shortage of testing kits, we also have a shortage of ventilators and a shortage of intensive care staff and a shortage of medical staff. So the whole purpose of the government trying to reduce the spread of the disease because it knows it cannot stop it spreading is to limit the numbers that present to an accident emergency department who need admission because they've got severe respiratory problems who, in a significant proportion, would need ventilation. Because I understand, and my figures may be incorrect here, I don't think we have more than about five to 7,000 ventilators around the country. And let's not forget, while COVID-19 and is rampaging through the community. We also have all the other medical issues which we face as a community on a daily basis. We have the heart, heart issues, the stroke issues, the influenza issue with winter coming up. Uh, you know, it's going to compound the situation. So the whole purpose is to actually decrease the number of people who would present to an accident emergency department at one time. Because if you don't... S- do this, you'll have the situation which has occurred in Italy today as we speak. There are a large number of people, although there's only one in two and a half thousand people infected with COVID-19, in Italy, their intensive care facilities have been overrun. So intensive care staff have decisions to make about who you put on the ventilator. And obviously there are criterias, and the criteria at the minute is very simple. The young who require ventilation get ventilation, and the elderly who will take much longer on a ventilator to get better don't, and they die. And that's why the mortality rate in Italy has risen, because of the lack of facilities to deal with the situation. So the current efforts to minimise the spread of the disease is designed to decrease the access to ventilation machines at one time. I mean, it's very simple. It's rational. It's simple. 
the human race has gone through this over thousands of years and survived. The dilemma in 2020 is many people who wouldn't have survived 100 years ago like me are still alive. We've got many comorbidities and there aren't obviously enough facilities to deal with a pandemic. Now, the good thing is that this pandemic is not as bad as it could have been. So let's look at the economic consequences. Now, the economic and social consequences, because they're intertwined, are things that we need to address. Now, you're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. This is a special COVID-19 episode where I'm trying to bring in some rationality into the debate about what is happening in, in, our, in, in this country and the world today. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au and I recommend that you actually get your friends to listen to this podcast because I am talking facts, not fiction. I'm sick of the fiction. I've been a doctor for 43 years and I'm sick of the bloody fiction that's floating around this country, which is reducing us to a community fighting over goods that are in plentiful supply. I'm sick and tired of seeing a government which is paralysed by what should be something that we should be able to deal with effectively. Sick of it. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program has been broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now let's look at the economic consequences. If there is one thing that this pandemic highlights... It's the inadequacies of capitalism, private investment for private gain, the concept of private investment for private gain, to deal with emergencies, to deal with climate change, to deal with anything, to deal with, you know, anything. And the collapse in the stock market, which will continue... And in my opinion, the Australian stock market has collapsed from about 7,000 to 5,000. I expect it to go down to about 2,500 by the end of the year if this continues. And, uh, you know, you've seen the life savings of superannuants wiped away. And people say, oh, it'll recover, it'll recover, don't worry. Well, we'll see. But it highlights the inadequacy, not only of the corporate world and the inadequacies of globalisation, but it highlights the inadequacies of governments which are basically puppets for that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. In a capitalist society, the difference between poverty and living a reasonable lifestyle is six weeks' wages. Ask the 30% of Australians who are relying on Social Security benefits to survive. What is the difference between poverty and a reasonable lifestyle? Six weeks' wages. 
What is the mantra of every privately owned business in this country to create a profit? If you can't create a profit, you can't pay the people who provide you with goods and services, you can't pay your staff. What happens when you can't pay your staff? People lose their jobs. They lose their livelihood. And as I speak, tens of thousands of casual and part-time workers have been laid off. In the next few months, if we continue this tactic, you will see hundreds of thousands of people being laid off, not just by private enterprises, not just by small business, not just by corporations, but by government departments who are already laying off people on short-term contracts. And let's not, let's not forget that many government departments have outsourced most of their responsibilities to the private sector. So you know that I, for the last few years, I've been spruiking public interest before corporate interests. And as I said before, this is a time of great opportunity for people like us because we have real solutions to real problems. And for far too long, we have been ignored, ostracised, pushed aside, laughed at, humiliated. But it's in a time of crisis that we can offer solutions. They may be radical, but radical times need radical solutions. And as the economy goes down the gurkla, irrespective of the amount of quantitative easing, which is a fancy name for printing money out of thin air that governments are involved in, the dilemma is sooner or later it needs to be paid back. So the first thing, and I spoke about this last week, is a, a universal basic income. If we had a universal basic income in this country, you would not see the panic that we are seeing today. Because as we become more and more computerised, more and more integrated into artificial intelligence, there is going to be less and less need for people to be involved in the wage system. So what do you do if all these people are not part of production? You need a universal basic income. As I said before, you can actually finance this by a 1% stock market turnover tax. Stock market fell $190 billion a few days ago. That's $1.9 billion into the Treasury on the day. Automatic, computerised. Stock market goes up, money. Bing, goes down, money. The second thing is, a 1% turnover tax. That We know that although you and I get harassed by the tax department to pay our tax on time, we know that large corporations and many high-wealth individuals do not pay tax or pay minimal tax legally. So a 1% turnover tax generates tens of billions of dollars which should be used for a universal basic income. And again, it's been policy for two years now, sorry, for over a year now, public interest before corporate interest for the introduction of a universal basic income, which is designed to deal with these, these issues. Because 
as the population increases and the stress that is placed on the environment increases, we will see more COVID-19s being transferred from animals to humans. Look, I'm a great believer, I'll use the word belief, in the concept of Gaia, G-A-I-R. And that's the principle that proposes that living organisms interact with their inorganic surroundings on Earth to form a synergistic and self-regulating complex system that helps to maintain and perpetuate the conditions for life on the planet. And when things get out of kilter, certain viruses or certain elements increase and become much more difficult to control. I said at the beginning of the program, people like Peter Kropotkin, the great anarchist scientist Peter Kropotkin, you know, put forward these ideas when he put forward the ideas of mutual aid at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, Gaia is named after the primordial goddess who personified the earth in Greek mythology. And all life forms are considered to be, in the Gaia belief system, one single living planetary being called Gaia. Now, look, there are very many uh, interpretations of Gaia, but the concept that all living organisms on planet Earth, and we are a self-contained system, interact with each other, it's not a belief system, it's a scientific fact. So there will be more COVID-19s, but next time they may actually be more virulent and nastier and more difficult decisions will need to be made. So we need to have an economic system in place that ensures that people aren't panicking because they know they can't pay their bills. Now, I know the government, governments across the world are throwing money at the problem. And they think by giving a bit of, you know, people some money to spend that somehow it's going to pay their mortgage. Now, what I'm proposing is, is very simple. And it's the same type of thing. And, and those people who are listening to this program on the 18th of uh, March may remember today is the 149th anniversary of the Paris Commune, the first workers' government in the history of this bloody planet. And what did they do when they seized power, held elections? What did their representatives do? They deferred all debt repayments for three years. And what we should be seeing today as more and more people lose their jobs is the government passing legislation, emergency legislation, which defers rent payments, mortgage repayments for individuals and businesses for three years. Not get rid, not abolish them, but defer them. Because the great problem that's going to hit this place in the next month or two, as people lose their jobs and don't have an income, unlike our high court judges who've decided to, you know, take three months rest and recreation to write their judgments and not actually hear any new cases, and federal court judges, they still get bloody paid. They haven't taken a cut in their salary. At least Alan Joyce, the head of Qantas, took a cut in his salary till the end of June. So as these workers get laid off and they use their holiday pay and are laid off, 
that mortgage repayment, that rent repayment continues to trickle in. Could you imagine the disaster that's going to happen in two or three months when 30, 40, 50% of the population cannot pay that? So that type of debt should be deferred. Defer it for a year, then reassess it. Of course it can be deferred. We've seen billions of dollars come off the stock market in the last few weeks. Of course this can be deferred. Anything can be done during a period of a crisis if you've got a government that is not hostage to that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Because in a capitalist society, it's the coins that you jingle in your pocket which is critical to your survival in a community. Another thing the government could do, it could pass regulation. Regulation, not even parliament. Regulation to restrict access to food supplies. Introduce a rationing system. And why can't we do it? Because everything has been outsourced. Our public service is such a skeletal staff that it can't even you know, provide information to Centrelink callers who have to wait a day to get through. Ration. Introduce it. Don't let the marketplace decide as prices begin to escalate for basic food sources that people profiteer. Legislate. We had rationing during the Second World War. Those people, listeners old enough, will remember and just after the Second World War. Why should we allow a section of the population to hoard essential foodstuffs to sell on eBay or Gumtree at a later date and make a buck out of it? And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the wholesale stripping of privately owned stores for that reason. Not just because people are panicking, because there are sections of the community that see that they can make a buck out of this crisis. So that's another thing that could be done. It's not just a matter of social isolation, trying to flatten the curve of the pandemic so that not everybody gets sick sick at once because the health resources would be overrun. It's a matter of introducing economic reforms into the system that ensure that people's basic necessities continue to be available. Continue to be available. Now now that the High Court isn't sitting for three months because they're concerned about coughing on each other, (laughs) there's no High Court challenges to government legislation. Maybe in a year's time, I'll say, oh, that was illegal. So what? So what? Because we need to be able to look after each other. It's not a matter of kindness. People say, let's be kind. Let's have acts of kindness. It's a matter of survival. People survive if they introduce the concept of mutual aid into their lives. They spontaneously form cooperatives 
to whole food, share food. Another thing that could be done is actually suspend or halve electricity and gas bills. People, we live in a society where electricity is essential. There's a lot of things that can be done. It's not just a matter of pandering to the private sector. It's a matter of the state using the power that they have, not just in terms of controlling people, but the power that they have to redistribute and create wealth to ensure the survival of everyone. So there are economic questions we can look at. There are social questions. And to me, the most disappointing aspect of this whole fiasco, and it is a fiasco in terms of response, is the panic, hysteria, fear that has gripped our community. Because we are part and parcel of this community. It is our community. That we have such little faith in the current structures that we believe the only way we can survive is by hoarding. The only way we can survive is putting our self-interest before the interests of the community as a whole. And to a significant degree, this is due to the total lack of leadership. Leadership in government agencies not just government at the federal, state and and a local level, but government agencies which are there supposedly to provide services and protection to the community. Because what we've seen over the last 40 years is the stripping back of the gains that we have made as a community during the globalisation, privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation era. And now the chooks are coming home to roost. And the rest of the world knows it. And that's why, as I speak, the Australian dollar on the world market is less than 60 cents. And why? Because the world market understands that we are vulnerable as a community economically, not just health-wise, because we have outsourced, heard the word outsourced, most production in this country. And I'm not just talking about cars. I'm talking about pharmaceuticals. I'm talking about the fact that we have to import ventilators and who's going to give us ventilators today when they've got their own needs, that we have to import the testing kits for COVID-19. I mean, the only luck is the fact that the food production has not been outsourced in this country, although the expansion of major urban centres has seen the destruction of the food bowls surrounding the major urban centres in this country. So at least we have food security. And that's why the run on the supermarket is so ludicrous. Totally ludicrous. So here we are, here we are seeing the effects of globalisation. Well, maybe you've got cheaper cars, so what? 
when you don't actually have the resources to provide your own people with the necessities that are required during this period. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. This is what happens when you don't when you destroy local industry, local production for the sake of increasing profits. Extraordinary. So we are now and I hate to sound like a biblical figure, but we are now reaping the rewards of 40 years of privatisation, globalisation, deregulation and corporatisation. We are reaping those rewards today. We are reaping the rewards of worshipping at the feet of Mammon. We are reaping the rewards of believing that it's only the private sector which can actually satisfy our basic human needs. And I've spoken about this for over 40 years and these pearls of wisdom have fallen on non-fertile ground. And what this COVID-19 crisis does... It highlights the inefficiencies of the type of society that we have created where we think the private marketplace can actually deal with everything. What would happen if we left the COVID-19 crisis to the private marketplace? Well, the first thing would happen is only rich people, as we see in America, would actually have access to medical resources, at least in this country, despite decades of successive coalition governments trying to destroy Medicare, a universal health insurance system in this country, destroy it because of ideological reasons, at least today, in 2020, we have the framework, not the structure, but the framework which we can build on to deal with health crisis and treat everybody equally. If you leave it to the marketplace, it's those with the cash jingling, the gold bars, who get access to the ventilators. At least we have not reached that critical juncture in our history because there has been people like you and me who have fought over decades to ensure that Medicare remains as a universal national health insurance scheme. Then there's the pharmaceutical health scheme. Once again, if we didn't have a subsidised pharmaceutical health scheme, which is subsidised by the government because we have pressured them to subsidise these expensive medications, I can assure you there was only those who would have the resources to buy those medications or buy that vaccination that would actually have access to that vaccination if we let the marketplace decide. And the same goes for food, the same goes for shelter, and the list goes on and on. I mean, we are more than just a marketplace trying to generate a bob to survive. We are much more than that. We are a community. And what COVID-19 highlights to me personally in 2020 
on the 18th of March 2020, the 149th anniversary of the Paris Commune, what it highlights to me is the inadequacies of the type of economic, social, cultural milieu we have allowed to be created in this society because we believe that it's only individual gain and individual wealth that is important. What anarchists have been saying for generations and what Peter Kropotkin proved at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century, human beings survive. It's not a matter of survival of the fittest. It's a matter of mutual aid. That's why we as a species now dominate planet Earth. Mutual aid. Where we are willing to look after those that need to be looked after. Where we were willing for generations to be involved in struggles to force the state to pass legislation to introduce a social security system which we have been denigrating over the last few decades by using the word welfare, denigrating and humiliating, pauperising people who find themselves in that particular situation because we are a community. And the way to survive in the future, because there will be more COVID-19s and they will be worse than this one because the animal human being transmission pathway has been opened. You may find this a little bit hard to believe, but we are very closely related genetically to bats and pigs. First of all, it's the ape family, then bats and pigs. And obviously, there will be transmission across the animal-human barrier. And every new virus poses its own significant challenges. And with climate change and the effects of climate change and the effects of population growth, this will be a reoccurring story in the human story. So it's not business as usual. It's not that this is going to pass and maybe 10, 20,000 people die and it's business as usual. It is not, if there is one lesson we need to learn as a people, it is not business as usual. This is a critical juncture in the history of the human race and how we approach it will make a huge difference on how we survive as a community. We can atomise, isolate, use repressive legislation and protect the rich, protect the famous, protect those who wield power, or we can break open the system, as they used to say in the old days, tip over the apple cart, apples for all, cut off the leg of the corporate table, the cake for all, not just crumbs. So we are at a significant moment in our history because it's it's going to be mutual aid, direct democracy, collectivism, all the things that we've seen that have worked in the past which are going to help us address 
the challenges we face as a, as a human, the challenges humanity faces in the future. As population continues to decrease, as finite resources continue to be plundered, and as global warming continues to be a significant issue. So think about it. Self-isolate, join public interest before corporate interest. We want to be a political force in this country. We don't want to be on the margins anymore. I'm sick of sitting on the margins, having rocks thrown at me by people who think they've got the answer and they've got no answers except more privatisation, more globalisation, more corporatisation, more deregulation. So I encourage you. This is a time of unparalleled opportunity for radical activists. I encourage you, join PIPSI. Download the application form, pipsy.net, pipsy.net. You don't have a computer? Write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052, and I'll send you a few hundred application forms. Or I'll leave a message on 0439 395 489. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I encourage you to get your friends and enemies to listen to this podcast. This is our special COVID-19 rational debate well, you, can, you can't have a debate with one person, but discussion with one person on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. And if you are listening to this program on the 18th of March, happy Paris Commune Day, 149th anniversary, and I am still holding the uh, talk and uh, dinner tonight at La Porquetta's 392 Raftdown Street, Carlton North, starting at 7pm, should finish by 9pm. Look, if you can't make it, if you're worried, you're self-isolating, you can always go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. The gist of the talk is up on the Facebook page. Go have a look at it. What role does the 1871 Paris Commune play in the world in 2020? But remember, this is not a time for gloom and doom and gloom. It is not a time where we tear each other apart. This is a time where we need to come together. This is a time when we need to look at those ideas that we've spoken about in the past. Mutual aid, collectivism, direct democracy. As a species, these are the principles that have served us so well for so long. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast podcast3cr.org.au, websites, pipsy.net, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing, uh, webpage, anarchistmedia.org. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Listen in next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.